0: We can only think ourselves out of situations to a certain point. Feeling out of situation, that's a whole different animal, right? Mm -hmm. You think yourself out of situations so you can't think anymore, then the body has to be integrated. I don't see it any other way.
1: Hello everybody. Welcome back to Root Awakening a health podcast. I don't do intros for my episodes anymore. Some of you may have noticed that I don't think we need them. If you want updates on my life, you can go to my Instagram or my YouTube. Both of those are linked in the show notes. And really, I just want to give you some updates about primal meetup before we get into this episode. More people are joining all the time and it's just going really well and we have such solid positive helpful community on there. For those of you who don't know, I created an app called Primal Meetup for community and dating and friendship and parenting in the carnivore raw primal space. So if you're interested in eating raw meat, if you eat a lot of meat in general, if you're in like the carnivore world, I think you'll love this app. There is so much diet dogma and so much hating online, I got so sick of it, and with some encouragement from my audience members, I created this app. I use it for dating and friendship and just like a general sense of community that is supportive. I moderate this group, and I don't really have to do a lot of moderating because everyone that joins is so cool, um, but I make sure that no one is hating in there or treating people in a shitty way, and I'm just really proud of it. We've just created a, quite a bond with everyone there, and the vibes are excellent, and it's great to see who's single in a community when you have a more specific diet. So check it out. The link is in the show notes everybody. Welcome back to Root Awakening, a health podcast. Man, I have a really special guest for you guys today, and I'm just really excited to dig in here. We met in a really kismet way, and I'm with Eileen batista Bon, who I met in a magical way, I think. And she was just telling me before we started recording that she doesn't remember exactly how we met. And I came into her space first and started following her. So I'm going to tell you guys how we met in a second. Um, but Eileen is a bilingual coaching psychotherapist. And I'll just say it right now. Gay Hendricks, author of The Big Leap, shared Eileen's post and she said something about his quote which is one of my favorite quotes of him that says if you argue for your limitations you get to keep them and I think you quoted him Eileen and he shared it and I was like I had this you know you just have feelings about people and I was like I whatever this energy is I vibe with her so I clicked on the story and I started following you and that's how this our relationship started, and okay, so with that being said, Eileen Batista Bon, welcome to root Awakening a Health Podcast. Thank you
0: for being here. I am so excited to be here, and now it brought back all these serendipitous feelings when I quoted that i I'm a big um one of his biggest i I think I'm one of his biggest fans. I've read the book several times, and that's one of the quotes that I have in my office <laughs> because you know we argue for limitations all the time. Mm -hmm. And it really just, it felt true to quote it. And he did reach out to me and I was grateful for that. So now it's all coming to life now. Now it makes sense. So I'm glad it resonated with you too. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like the the energy was there. And
1: ever since we've just kind of been, Eileen and I have been back and forth and just vibing with each other's content. And it's funny to me that you were saying on her end, Eileen was saying like, who's this girl that's eating raw meat but there was something that kind of brought us together and I just I'm really excited we've connected on a lot of self-development topics and just with the way that the brain works and I'm just really interested to learn more about your thoughts on that and I guess just to start off here you mentioned you've lived a lot of lives just in this one life and I guess I'd just love to hear anything that's coming up now about how you got to where you are, I guess, like how you decided you wanted to become a psychotherapist. You didn't always know that you wanted to be one, right? Because Correct. you mentioned um, that you were coming from like,
0: you were you were coming from a different career path at first, right? Yes. I mean, I'll try. I mean, it. If- I'm pretty long-winded, so I'll try to be succinct with, and thank you for having me, by the way. I love how you're eating raw meat as we speak, so that's true. kudos <laughs> to you. I feel like I've had nine lives, and also, like, there's one whole one, and there's different, you know, chapters to lives. I've been a therapist, I'm 43, for about five years now, like you know, licensed. I have always called myself a linguist. I love languages. I speak three, and I, as a kid, that's all I wanted to do was work at the UN, and I, went to boarding school. I lived overseas. Like one year in high school, I speak Italian. And mm-hmm. when I went to college, that's all I wanted to do. And the last year of college, I worked for the UN for, I'm from New York city. My parents, I'm first generation American, Dominican. So I had immigrant, you know, first, you know, child of immigrants kind of mindset embedded. You have to go to school and you know, all that. Mm-hmm. And I went to school and I worked for the UN for a year. And then after that, I changed religions and I moved to Phoenix. I was raised Catholic became Mormon. Okay. So, 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 okay. Take that in. And I moved to Whoa. Phoenix. Correct. So when I moved to Phoenix, I was taking, I was auditing graduate courses. I wasn't, I did, I, at that point, I, so I'll back, I worked, I lived in Salt Lake for a couple of years. I used to travel overseas a lot for my clients in Europe. And then I moved to Phoenix after I got married. And then I was Mormon. Um, I, when I lived here, I ended up working for the court system here, translating, I would audit classes, and I was a fitness instructor, so I'm a big yeah. fitness person. I'm like a mini meathead. I trained kickboxing, sculpt, spinning classes, so I have I have a lot of varied um talent uh, skills and I interest, you know. And I think the word multi the word multi passion. It feels cliche to me, but that's the best way I can describe that. And so I I did that on the side, and I worked for the courts, and I just always I always knew I was more academically inclined. I wanted to go back to school and finish my graduate courses, and so. I was doing fitness. I was take. I was a da- I was a dancer too. So I did that. And I kind of just did a lot of meetup groups. And so I did everything that I love to do in one. And so I think my, you no, know, I know this, my early thirties, I had three daughters at the time in my early thirties. I just felt restless. I said, okay, I, and I'm from New York. So I'd go home all the time. And Phoenix is a lot smaller than New York city. As far as like cultural, there's culture, but it's just very narrow. And so I think I, around 34, I'm 43. So around 34, I said, okay, I'm going to go, Go finish my graduate degree, get my doctorate. And I didn't know what I was going to do. And I've been in therapy for like 25, 30 years in totality. And I was in therapy at the time, like I always am. And my therapist, one day she said to me, I said, I'm restless. And I was working for a company. I was working for a marketing company, doing all their foreign accounts, like all the things that I love, but however it catered to me. And I said, I want to do what you do. She said, okay. I literally left her office. I signed up for my GREs. I took a class, I took my juries twice, and I started graduate school. It wasn't even like, uh, look. Like, this is what I'm going to do. So I went back to graduate school. I got, I was married for about 16 years, and I had this unexpected divorce, okay, in the middle, uh, and the end of my last year of graduate school, during my thesis, was a whole, whole thing, right? A whole thing, 16 kids, 16 years, and all these things. So I finished graduate school, and then... I started my doc, my doc, my PhD, and I thought this is, I'd taken a semester and I thought this is really, have you ever read the book by Amanda, um, oh my gosh, Francis that says, um, oh my gosh, I can't, Amanda Francis, anyway, she is really yes, famous. I love her. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. And rich as rich fuck, right? Yep. So she lit. I literally was her. She went through a year of PhD, never finished. I felt, I'm like, I am this lady, but I'm just a lot older than she is. I didn't have all the school debt, but I had all of that. And so I just thought I'm never going to use a PhD. Why am I going to school? So then I just started working. And as, and I, right now, I currently still work as a primary uh, primary clinician at a mental health clinic. Mm-hmm. But I, after I got divorced, I've been divorced five years. I want to do my own thing. And it takes a minute for the state. Fast forward, all of that. I am currently, I still work for them and I take clients and I consult com- with companies, like company culture. I do public speaking in that way and I do one on ones and I I would like to do some group coaching here soon so that's where that, that that is how I ended up here but I've traveled a lot in between all of that and I'm very uh because I wanted to be a linguist that was my first love so I've never given that up and then I love fitness and dancing so I've kind of <laughs> I feel like I've lived all these lives in one and I, you know, I was Mormon for a long time and it just, it's a whole thing. So I live in Phoenix, but I'm from New York. So I don't know how that story ties in together, but that's, this is where I am today at 43. And I really appreciate your authenticity, how you show up online. And uh, social media is a very different kind of beast in, in a way. And so I'm learning that too. And learning how to separate that and not contrasting it to, or comparing it to my credibility as a therapist but it's just another tool. And so that gets kind of tricky and I'm navigating that right now. So that is my story as of today. <laughs> as
1: <Wow>. of today.
0: <laughs> oh, cool,
1: man. This is so wild, you guys. So... Eileen lived in New York City. I lived in New York City. Mm -hmm. Eileen is in Phoenix right now. I lived in Phoenix with my sister. This is crazy. You you follow Amanda Francis. Amanda Francis was, six months ago, Amanda Francis was my biggest role model ever, you know, because I had found her more recently, and I was, like, really Mm -hmm. stoked about her, and she's amazing. It's just, you know, over time, you're like, oh, she's great, but... I was in like my heyday of being in love with her like six months ago and it's just it's amazing how we just tend to attract people that there are a lot of similarities there and I I would love to if you're willing get into how you transition into the
0: Mormon religion because that's not, <laughs> I, I don't know much about the Mormon religion and this is just fascinating I guess Yes, Amanda Francis. You know what it is with people. It's like Gay Hendricks. Like you ebb and flow. I think things resonate with you when you need them. Mm-hmm. I I knew of her a while when she first came out with the book, and it was only it's only been a couple years out. Mm-hmm. But I found her through a, one my coach, and about a year ago. And I'm like, this is the, that's my story. I'm just a lot older. She yeah. like it was little. She was a therapist. She was good. So it just so I'm glad that you you know her work. I was seven titsy. I, I went to boarding school in Virginia. I didn't mention that. I went to boarding school in Richmond, Virginia, wow. full full-blown scholarship. My parents had no money, but I always was very, I'm like, I'm going to go do this. So I got a scholarship, spent a year abroad in Italy, come back home. And then I ended up going to college in New York. So the summer before I started school, I was working at the, I was working at the World Trade Center. I grew up right in that area and I, they had a mall that on downstairs you know, and so there were missionaries that were walking during the middle of the day, and I thought they were Boy Scouts, okay, I'm 19, I'm 18, and I said, oh, I'm gonna go buy some cookies, so I'm working at like a kiosk, like they selling hats, and I, I, you know, I I called them over, and I said, hey, are you, you know, are you selling cookies, and they're like, no, <laughs> and so anyway, they told me their whole spiel, and so I was intrigued, I moved back to the city, I'd been away for four years, and I'm like, oh, I'll make some new friends, and I ended up going to church, and kind of finding a community, and because a lot of my friends, I had been away for so long, I didn't really have, my friends were all transient, lived overseas or, you know, so it, it was a sense of community that I really, that I appreciated. And so I ended up doing that. And then the year after I met them, I moved out to Salt Lake. I went, I, I transferred, my parents didn't no, they lost. My parents said, no, I went to like a baby Ivy League. They were mad. I transferred to BYU. And in the summer, but at this point, I did do it from home. since I was thirteen. So it didn't. It felt natural to me. Yeah. So it didn't. It didn't feel. It just felt like something that I did, right? So I did that, yeah. and I ended up going <laughs> BYU and all of the things. So yes, and then it's funny. I found all these Dominicans at BYU, so it was really great cool. for me. It was a really great experience socially, one hundred percent. Like my closest friends to this day are still that so I I will say I had a really it was a really great education I I will say that I my professors there so yeah that's how I ended up at at BYU wow
1: (laughs) amazing my favorite high school teacher was Mormon and I loved him so much he was so Mm open-minded and I just that that was just like I don't know I the Mormon stereotype I never understood because every Mormon I've ever met in my life has been like awesome. You know, I don't even really know what the stereotype is, but you know how people get with organized religions. They get judged yes. about it, you know, and um, I'm just like some like religious people are, can be also so open, the sweetest, most joyful people, you know? So that's wild.
0: So do you still practice the Mormon faith? It's tricky because I don't, but I, but I I support my kids. So it's a tricky space to be in. After I got divorced, that was a tumultuous thing. I married in the temple and we were very involved in the church. Like we were, there's like leadership and my husband was a, like a high level in our community. So we were, because we were so involved, it was just a big thing in our community. And so my daughters, sometimes they still go, so I'll go and I'll support them. But do I agree with the doctrine? No. Do I love my friends in the church? Well, Absolutely. And same thing, I separate doctrine from people. And the way people treat me, you know, I think you can find this in all kinds of religions. I grew up Catholic, you know, I went to Catholic church and Catholic school. So you find this everywhere. And so I don't necessarily go to worship, I go to support friends, or I go to support my kids, but practicing, no, I mean, I wouldn't say that I do, I think people still think I do. It's a, it's an interesting thing. I've been in it for so long, I was in it for such a long time. It's a process to get out. It's not, like it's not that black and white but I no I I believe in things that they necessarily don't believe in but you will be intru- you'll be like you said you'd be surprised people who are still go to church and practice can be very open-minded like they get to kind of pick and choose what they need and want and so I tell my girls I'll support you however you need me to you know it's been is their entire lives so I don't practice it But I will support when I need to. Does that make sense? And I feel okay with it today. I I don't I don't feel like a hypocrite. I don't feel that I am negating my truths. It's a process to unravel like twenty years of that. You know, it's not that cut and dry. It's a long time. It's like most of my adulthood in that. So anyway, and I I think I needed to be in that when I was in it. So you know, just part of my story. Yeah, I love that. And it
1: makes it a rich story too. You know, you, you have all these different experiences and we were, we were talking about this too, before we recorded, like it, it, you were saying that it kind of depends on what people experience in their lives, not necessarily
0: what actual age they are. Right. Because why? Because you're 31. How do we get on that? You're 31 and I'm 43. I'm almost 44 and
1: and there's really young people online as well there's like 17 year olds 18 year olds there have been 18 year olds on this podcast before and they're so wise you know so it it really age age can you know there's something to be said about being on this earth for a certain number of years right like for being being on this earth for a long time but I just loved what you said about how it, it really just depends on what you've dealt with in your life. Sometimes you go through stuff and you age like 30 years within
0: a couple years. You know, it's just Isn't that your that's your experience too. I think you were saying that like your journey. Because you're in your in your twenties when you kind of spoke to me outside of this conversation, you've had six years here and you live in this space. And so I and I well I have an 18 year old almost 19 year old. So sometimes because I can sometimes be an old academic, you know, I'm stuck in that. I have learned to there's so much wisdom in younger people too, because their way, you know, the world they grew up in is not mine. And so I have learned trying to raise these children that they have so much to teach me. And that sounds cliche as well, but it's just true to that. Like I didn't have her childhood. I had my own. And Mm -hmm. so, but I can learn from hers because a social media thing, that's a whole new thing for me. And I've had to really humble myself to say, I have no idea what I'm doing. And I doesn't make me less credible. I just, and and I've had to talk to like twenty year olds and go, can you please teach me how to use? And I laugh because I don't know it, and so much. And they they're so quick and savvy, and and it I'm I'm impressed. But I'm also I've learned so much in the past six months about like younger generation and the knowledge they have, but also like the also the and you're younger generation too, by the way. Also the things they face, and that's a whole different animal. But. Um, Speaking of animals, you're eating your raw meat. So that's.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, somehow we're still on brand here. Like even when I'm not talking about raw meat on an episode, it kind of always comes up, you know, but you're (laughs) also
0: holding a fork with a chunk of raw meat. Exactly. So there's that, you know, my parents are from the Dominican Republic and they grew up, you know, on the land, uh, lots of animals and. When, as a kid, I would go there every summer. I spent every summer there as a kid. And my mother would always buy more cows. And so I was around it a lot. And I will I mean, people are going to hate me on here, all my vegan friends. But, you know, I ate raw meat as a kid. And and it cooked, but it, it's not something that, like, something that I find offensive. I also think people, I'm a big health person because fitness. And people need to take care of themselves where they need to. And gut health is such a big thing. Mm. And you know, I don't drink kefir, but I try to do things that, that help, that help my gut, my system, you know, and also my mental faculties. And I, I know if I go out, you know, there's a, there's a huge, there's a lot to say about people trying to like what you're doing, trying to find out what works best for you. And that's a whole journey. And I love that you document your, that's what, when I found your page, I thought, well, was like, she's eating raw meat right now. Just a big slab of steak, cold. And I, (laughs) was perplexed but also intrigued like I think it's great that you're taking your health into your own hands because no one's going to do that for you and trying to find your own journey in that so I really I mean that I really appreciate that it may not be mine all the time but I'm really open to people's um people's need to seek that for themselves I, I think we're fed so many things on in the world that we just take as as truth without even you know, uh educating ourselves on that based on our own experience. So I don't know how long long we've been on this journey with raw meat. So Oh, about
1: a year with raw meat. And uh before that it was like ten years of trying different diets because I wasn't feeling like I was absorbing any of my food for the longest time. So it's like I love what you say about experiment and I couldn't say it enough. Like like, I really think it, it helps so much to have support along the way. We vibed on the fact that we both go to therapy and love it so much. And it's, like, huge. Yeah, we, we keep, we keep like, kind of vibing with that in the DMs. Like, man, therapy's awesome, you know? And coaches are so important to, like, you know – folks like you who are trained as a psychotherapist and also can coach people to like really get results. And and we're going to talk, I can't wait to talk about your relationships to your clients and what it looks like to work with you. Um, But yeah, I think at the end of the day, we still need to like have an element of yes, outside support and also trusting ourselves to experiment in ways that feel right to us and now at this point in my health journey i've been because i've been through a long health journey i have experienced great healing so i i did experience a lot of healing before the raw meat but i experienced such a spiritual connection with my food when i started eating raw meat that's what kept me there the spirit the spiritual stuff and now at this point it's like once you see little things starting to work you can kind of experiment like Hmm, let me see I have this thing that I would love to change let me see if I can tweak this or this so I'm on a journey now with the painless period I want to have a painless period because
0: other people have got oh my gosh tell me how that goes for you it doesn't I'm like I think I'm like pretty much because I'm older I'm almost like perimenopause and that's a whole yeah I've had to change my I've had to forcefully because my periods are atrocious and so it's a whole thing but yes Yeah. It's a whole thing. And then you meet some
1: people and they're even in the States. And I'm, I'm like, how you have a painless period. Yeah. I have a completely painless period. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like, who are these people? Who are these
0: like enigmas? I have no (laughs) idea. I know I that happens for. I didn't okay. even
1: know that was in existence. And actually the the guest that was on my episode that actually dropped today to the public. Okay. He has a painless period. And man, it's crazy. But but people, even people who don't eat raw meat are now coming out in my audience and saying, Hey, I was able to achieve a painless period this way, either they gave up caffeine or et cetera. But man, yeah, the experimental journey in this life but also with health it's it's horrible sometimes and it's hopeless feeling hopeless sometimes but then once you start figuring it out it becomes kind of like a game like okay let's try this now let's see how i can you know once you start seeing results you're like wow i am powerful but like for me for example it took eight years nine years ten years to see to start seeing results and that's intense it can be intense
0: that, I mean, that is a lot. And, and you said it right there. So you have, it's, a, it's like a patience thing too. And I, mm-hmm. you know, because you're eating raw meat, but mm-hmm. I, I think even if you don't eat raw meat, I think there's like, you know, you have to see what doesn't hurt your body. I can only imagine when you started your journey that your system took, it, it was in shock right yeah. I can only imagine I think with anything you eat more sugar you take sugar away your body has to be I say it has yeah. to recalibrate yeah you know with this new way of life and so I call it a recalibration of sorts right even especially mentally like what am I doing and so I I think this. you know I think I, I said this once that I scream a lot in my post because I'm just loud it's Grace. not even that <laughs> people don't do the thing it takes them years to even start because of things like this oh i don't want to deal with the acting that may come i don't want to deal with the initial shock to my system and i would say you have to start somewhere like it, you have to just do the one thing it doesn't have to be all there's a simple thing i say to people in sessions and a lot of times to little kids but how do you eat an elephant and they're looking at me like what are you talking about I go one chunk at a time you're not eating the tusk and the entire tail you're literally starting at the trunk So if you, if on your journey, maybe you just said, you know what, I'm going to try to eat a slab of steak. I have no idea what that looked like for you. So I don't want to pretend to know your journey, but you don't know until you do the thing, but people never do the thing. So they spend years, whether it's trying to heal their gut or trying to heal their mind or try, whatever it is, they don't even start. So they don't even know. They just sit on, and this is not even the judgment or to shame people. It's just the truth of the way we show up in the world. So I can respect that you, I can imagine your journey was not easy at the beginning
1: no I don't know maybe it (laughs) is no um it wasn't but it was for me what's kind of shown up a lot in my life which is my life path is like I didn't have these big traumatic moments of oh my gosh all of a sudden I'm in the hospital or like these like a big seizure or something crazy it was just like low grade poor health that just couldn't go away like constant yeast infections, constant UTIs, you know, it just keeps Uh. coming, 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 doesn't go away. And it's just annoying. So in one sense, I didn't have these super scary situations, but it was just this long process of, let me try this. Let me try veganism. Let me try vegetarianism. Let me try pescatarianism. So I've really tried like the array of diets and now I know my body's isms,
0: Exactly.
1: Exactly, (laughs) girl. And then you know, I, I, I finally eat something that feels like my body is really loving and I'm like, sweet, like, great. We're making progress. But yeah, it's like, I always like to stress that it was, there were so many moments where I, I was just crying, asking God, like, when is this going to change? Cause it feels like it's never going to change. I feel like I'm trying and it's not changing. And you know, if you don't quit, eventually you get what you want. You get some version of what you want. You know what I mean?
0: I thank you for that. I mine's sugar. Oh. I do really great for a while and then I'll go on a week binge and I can tell on my skin immediately. I don't knock on wood. I don't get a lot of acne and I really didn't as a kid. Knock on all the wood, right? But <laughs> so the minute I start to have sugar, I want more and more and more of it. And I'm all or nothing kind of person. I have I, I can be very addictive pretty quickly, mm-hmm. which is because I, so uh, even this week today, I, I had the flu terribly and I was so sick that I just ate chocolate. And now I have, so today I had a cleanse, but even that, and it's not even just physical, it's the mental piece for me. I feel insane in my body. And so I'm pretty good about setting goals and like, okay, I'm going to do a clean out, but it's arduous. Like I have to start. So today I like the first day without sugar and I had girls between Girl Scout cookies and that six days of straight binge. And it just doesn't sit when well. I eat pretty healthy generally, just because I'm health conscious. But just at this sugar integration, it's it just shocks my system and it I can't focus and concentrate. So it's a whole, it's it's that kind of thing for me. It's a sugar for me. I've gone months at a time without sugar. And so I can tell a huge difference of that with my gut and just how I sleep and my skin. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know if with you with raw meat, like your journey, if that's changed the way your skin show the way your skin shows up or even mentally, what that looks for you. What oh, that looks yeah. like for you. Oh yeah. Um So even when I
1: was eating a lot of cooked meats, really, I healed a lot of my health through eating cooked meats, just like whole foods, cooked meats, a lot of bone broth and a lot of like raw dairy and fermented dairy, but cooked meats, my body just loves it. My body loves the animal fat after going so many years without it, um, it just loves it. And it's crazy, Eileen, like I've seen people and somebody just told me the other day, this goes for every diet it, i guess it just depends on what diet feels best for you but i've seen people in the diet that i eat or eating cooked meats reverse aging just reverse aging it's just it's beautiful what our bodies are capable of and i wanted so i wanted to ask you before we get away from this topic what kind of raw meat were you eating in the dominican
0: you know that's funny cuz they're you know we're big they're big meat eaters right we live off and so my you know i will say this like it was, there's a lot of seafood. So I grew up on a lot of seafood. I grew up on a lot of different kinds of food, a lot of seafood. Yeah. And, you know, it, it isn't like sushi or anything, but it's a lot, of, a lot of seafood, all kinds of seafood. And then, so in the DR, they they eat a lot of sheep. And um mm-hmm. sheep, goat, no, goat. And I would see my uncles, oh my gosh, anyone who's a vegetarian is going to kill me. Just drag, like I'll be sitting, just eating, just hanging out with my family. And you'll see my uncles from like forests just carrying a dead goat to like just c- cook. And a lot of times it would have cooked all the way this, I, I feel sad for anyone who's a PETA activist on here, but that's what I grew up with, you know, like this just their world country. And so you eat what you have, you eat off the land. You know, this is what you eat. And so I, a lot of that, so I grew up, I cook a lot of cooked meat, but I also know they a lot of raw meat, a lot of goat and, um, it was a lot of that, to be honest. And then even cow meat. So, my mother to this day, she will never eat, and it's an interesting thing for her. She will never eat cow meat in the US, but she will always eat cow meat in the Dominican Republic. It has been 25 years. She will never, so I live in Phoenix, a lot of Mexican food. She refuses to have any tacos. She will have chicken. She will never have cow meat. She's like, I refuse to eat any meat in this country like anything from a cow and she said and for her she said that her body does better and i think it's the way it's their animals are treated i'll be honest oh, and yeah. the way it's cooked. and so she I'm was sure. it's just funny that she would refuse to say eat cow meat here so yeah. anything from a cow but i'll i grew up in a lot of fish we were also catholic so like lent we'd only eat fish on fridays and you know and so that was a whole thing too so be, between religion and culture it lends for a lot of varied kind of diets, which I'm grateful for. It it keeps me very open minded about. So I'll try anything once. There's some things I have, and I'll and I'll I'll go even further as an adult. I have a lot of allergies. As an adult, I've gotten more allergic to things that I never was. So I grew up eating avocados because my parents had avocado trees. And when I turned 33, this is when I was already in fitness and I was teaching still. Mm-hmm. I started getting hives off avocados wow. and, a, and and like specific fruits like pineapples and cantaloupes. Mind you, my parents grow mangoes and avocado trees in the DR. So I grew up oh. on this, right? Trees and trees and trees, like dripping off the trees. Okay? Oh my gosh. Correct. So I'll tell you this right now. So <laughs> I started having these aversions to avocado and I went to the allergist and he said, because Phoenix in particular and cross pollinates to other fruit, because there's so many people who move here are so transient your body has um, now acquired an allergic reaction. So for me to have anything avocado, it has, it's, I break out. So it's, I, so I, I'm anyway, I don't know how that affects how you show up in the way you eat food, but it has, how, it has made me look at it differently because now, because of the way people deal with food and the way people manage food and the way they cultivate in other areas, that they're not supposed to cultivate them and really affects not only the ecosystem, but how we consume food. I've never thought I would be allergic to avocados ever. I grew up with avocados. You're not Dominican, there's an avocado on your table. Like you eat it with everything. So <laughs> it's been something I lament on the daily. So it's interesting. So my body has now created these allergies to specific foods. Mm-hmm. And I really believe that it's because of how people take, I don't know, I, I can go off on this for days, but it's something in my 30s that I've really lamented, like even specific fruits. For a Caribbean girl, I, i'm devastated <laughs> so oh. so Wait, yeah so, that's the whole thing so they were saying were they saying that
1: it was because you've had so much in your life or it's because you're used to the stuff that's not sprayed and now yeah i mean the so stuff is
0: not sprayed and then the tree so people come to arizona in particular because there's people are transient here it's a, just a trans. You no know, it's a younger state people move from out of the you know they don't want to be in the cold cold so they move from michigan from all the yep. canadians so they plant things that don't that aren't that aren't used to being planted in Arizona. And so now it, it cross pollinates with the uh, with other fruit trees and all these things. Okay. And so somehow within all my allergies to olive trees and ash trees and all these trees, any fruit that's there. And that's one part. When I go to New York, I don't have as bad of allergies, but I still have them. So now in my 30s, I've created adult allergies. It's that mm-hmm. so sometimes even when I have pineapple or bananas, my throat itch it's a it's a whole it's a whole thing so you know I look at food differently Mm -hmm. because of it but I also my sugar is always a part for me that I work on but I don't consume sugar like that I'll go in spurts I'm pretty healthy I will say that generally I eat a lot of protein like a lot of protein or at least has to go a lot of eggs and I eat a lot of chicken and it's boring, but just because I like to work out, I have to consume, I try to consume a certain amount of protein. Mm-hmm. So I have a hard time being vegetarian <laughs> because I, because of it just hard, I eat a lot of beans. I grew up on a lot of beans. So mm-hmm. anyway, sidetrack. but I just have had this whole food journey too. Mm-hmm. And I have a sensitive stomach. And so I've had to give up a lot of milk and I do a lot of different things. So a Kiefer, I'm working on. Kiefer's is an interesting thing for me. Yeah. It's the, at first, I'm like, what the hell is this? It's, <laughs> and so I'm, I'm on a journey with Kiefer. I know you it's a whole thing. It's a texture for me. Yeah. And so I'm, it's a struggle. <laughs> and so yeah. if you have any feedback on that, please let me know.
1: <laughs> um, so for me... I always, I have always craved dairy and I always thought, you know, once I got to be an adult and I was on my own and I started having health issues, I always thought that I couldn't have dairy because, you know, if you have a sensitive stomach, that's the first thing they tell you to cut right. out. So milk, raw dairy is so new to me, literally the past two, uh, see, no. I think about a year. I've just been—wow, that's crazy. I think I've just been drinking raw dairy for about a year, and at first, I did have a bad reaction, but it was like a detox. I would imagine. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. Like what you were saying earlier. Like because I wasn't used to it, it's been a while. Yeah. I don't think I had ever had raw milk before. Then I had this bad reaction, and then after we cleaned all that out, it got better. So. I will okay. just say our taste buds have the ability to completely transform. Like I I had someone on my podcast who ate raw meat and that's how I found out about it. And for oh. 3 months after I had the person on my podcast I was like still sounds gross. Nope, not going to do it. It right. <laughs> still sounds gross. And then I, I made some other health changes. I started cooking a lot at home. And then personally for me, I'm like, actually, that's starting to sound pretty good. And now <laughs> I, I just love the taste. So I the way that I want to tie that in with the kefir thing is if you keep with it or if you find ways to drink it, like if you, um I know you don't want to do sugar, but if there are some fruits that you can uh have or like vanilla extract or something like that, or or so, any kind of other sweeteners that that you like. I use honey. I eat honey all the time. Yeah, okay, I
0: love honey and I like fruit. It's just like sugar, like ch- it's more like the cat, like the artificial stuff. Oh, that's oh, hard. oh, I sweet. I love fruit, but yeah, okay. I, I, I love and I put honey on everything. So like yeah. th- that's my that those are my issues. It's more like the Nutella. That if when I die, please throw it. ten bottles of Nutella, douse me in it, put me in a beautiful gown, and put me in the sea. <laughs> just do <laughs> that. Can you please just? And put and put and put prosciutto on me with Nutella oh. and send me out to sea. Sounds great. Send me out to sea.
1: Oh my god, <laughs> I I haven't had Nutella in so long. Just by honestly by chance, <laughs> but I I always
0: loved it, man. Back in the day, that was the thing. Like- but it's, it's dangerous. Have you been to Costco? and They have a Costco like oh boy, baby size double. So my boyfriend buys them for his daughter. And I don't, I don't buy it here because I wouldn't be, I wouldn't, I'm so, I'm such a savage. I'll just stick a spoon. I don't need anything oh, else. Yeah. So when, oh, yeah. when I go to his house, he can, he goes, he, he can tell when I've been in it. Cause you'll see one single spoon in the sink no, and you no, can see no, that no, I try no, to no. clean it out. No, and he goes, no. I know you're having, I have one spoon every time. So <laughs> it is that, so it's been a journey for me. Yeah. The, the sugar thing anyway, but Good. I do like sugar in the form of like fruit and things. It's more the other and I have to just watch it. It really affects my mood too.
1: Yeah. Okay. So I've been using right the right processed sugar. Man, that's perfect though. If you like honey, because that's basically what I did. Um, food freedom is really important to me. So it's my goal, you know, if I really want to eat outside a specific diet, I wanna do that. Right now I have a very specific focus, but it's my long term goal to like be able if I feel like having Nutella, I'm gonna have some fucking
0: Nutella, you know. What I mean? Nutella like, that it'll be a travesty if you didn't try like exactly exactly like to to be able to handle that at a certain point in time would be great um so can you do me can you do me a favor then when you want to go back on your Nutella journey you tell me and I will literally gift you an entire box of Nutella (laughs) I want to see you take this open it up it's a whole ceremony you open it up and I want to, you take a spoon and just a whole, because you can't that even put it on so, bread you that just be- it. <laughs> That'd be so I beautiful. will I would so happily send you your first oh, jar you so like sweet. like a lifetime <laughs>
1: uh, yeah that's so sweet and then I'm like oh my god Eileen what did you do
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: you will you, you will be in a coma for sure the next day.
1: yeah I know I know but but it's still like <laughs> Foods like that can just bring a lot of joy at the same time. I'm so happy for you
0: right now. (laughs) You want to hear something nerdy? So Kobe Bryant, rest in peace, played basketball in Italy, right? Mm -hmm. He speaks Italian and I speak Italian. So I started eating Nutella. I ate it before and I lived there, but I stopped eating it for a while. And then I would see him on the bottles of Nutella. And I'm like, Kobe Bryant eats Nutella. He promotes it. So why not? So then I started eating it again. And I wanted to be so bougie because I love being, I love speaking Italian. I'm like he does too, and so that was literally why I started eating Nutella again. He just marketed <laughs> perfectly to you, just <laughs> for me. He's like, look, I know one woman, but I it really was. that can I said that out loud. He would be on the bottles of Nutella. So sorry, Kobe, oh. rest in peace. But that was really why I started eating Nutella again.
1: <laughs> I love it, and I I love our nostalgic connections with food. You know, to me, that's just yeah. important. It's important if if french fries bring me a lot of joy i want to be able to have those sometimes and i don't even crave them all the time but just have them experience the joy be with family eat food you love like that's still you know so important to me so I yeah i love it i love that we we had this this moment of <laughs> really appreciating these things because i wasn't i never expect to talk about food in episodes like these when i'm when i'm you know expecting to have <coughs> excuse me more of a excuse me you're good more of a like heady mental episode and Mm -hmm. it's, it's fun to be able to talk about. So back to kind of like what you're doing and how you're living. I guess I want to hear about what it's like to work with you as a client right now. You know, I'm, I'm obsessed with the idea of psychotherapy in combination with coaching. Cause one of my best friends is a psychotherapist and she said that she noticed in her career as a psychotherapist that she couldn't really like help her clients like she wanted to. And that's why she transitioned to coaching. So I guess I'd love to hear your take on that and what, what it's like for you to bring these two things together, psychotherapy and coaching.
0: Thank you. Uh, You know, thank you for that. And I, so I'm glad that you have someone who kind of like give a lens to what that is. And I think and so number one, what am I doing really? Question mark, question mark. <laughs> so anyone on social media, they're going to say she yells a lot. She's very <laughs> passionate. She doesn't really comb her hair. And she has a very thick accent. So that, and I talk with my hands. So, and that's how I show up. But I, I love all I talk that. About, I, I do know what I talk, I'm talking about in some regards, but I also, I'm always open to learning. So the thing with therapy, and I'm sure maybe she, she may feel the same way is that when you are when you are a therapist and you're, you work for, you know, you're in the state and you have ethics, right. Which I have ethics, even in coaching, that's because mm-hmm. you do, right. Cause mm-hmm. you need to, is that you feel tied because this is how I, this is how I define it. Psychotherapy is more the why and coaching is more, it's more the how. So mm-hmm. coaching is more solution focused and therapy is more, like cognitive behavioral for me, that's, that's that's how I distinguish it. But when I'm in therapy with clients, the reality is I also do coaching in there, along with therapy because I can do that because I feel comfortable doing that because I'll talk about you know if a client has deep trauma, right? We're talk. I I specialize in EMDR. I do anger management. Those are Ooh. my big things. I can do I anger. I love anger, so I do a lot of that. But then they right then you want to go okay. So what about my next steps, right? Because they want to integrate. So then. What I've, what I've noticed in the past year, which is why I'm like, I think I want to do coaching too, is they would say to me, you know, after you see clients for a while, like my, therap- my therapist became a coach. She does both because of that. I've had her for over 10 years. Okay, wow. I, So we do all, so because she's known me for so long, we're very, very comfortable with each other, right? She's known me through all the things. And so I, they would say to me, so what do I do with this? How do I implement this? So I found myself in therapy, ethically, ethically anyway, saying, okay, well, what are your long-term goals? Or at least what do you, how do you want to feel? Because you may not know what it looks like, but you want to know how it feels, right? So we'd create like a plan of, I want to feel this way. There's some things that I want to do. And then I noticed myself, solution focus is a therapeutic modality, to be honest, it really is. It's um, created by, I'm going to butcher his name. It'll come to me. Mm-hmm. But that's more coaching, right? Because you have the why, the underlying things that the way people show up and then you have, okay, so then how do I navigate this? So that's how I define it. So going back to the state, you, you can, your hands are kind of tied. And, you know, as a therapist, number one, you don't get paid. Like mental health clinicians, as much work as we do, the pay is pretty low. considering. Oh yeah. I will also say, and I am not everyone's favorite. I'm not, every, I'm not everyone's therapist, which is fine. I'm not for everyone. Not every therapist is created equal. There's some quack dudes in the therapy world. I'll tell you that much right now. There are a lot of therapists that I would never even call a therapist but that's my own personal judgment on people and also that are not ethical. And so my initial aversion to calling myself a quote unquote coach was that, Oh my gosh, no, it's the ego. Like I have all these degrees. Are you kidding me? Right. And so it felt offensive to me. Yeah. And even when I got a coach, cause my, you know, my coach is not my therapist and she's great about that because she's not going to help me with childhood trauma. She's going to work on business stuff for me or mindset stuff that's different. Right. Yeah. So, I am calling myself the coaching therapist because my ego feels better that way. But also, like coaching gives you a like a broad, it gives you more space to to show up for your client in ways that you didn't think, I think that you could. Because even and I'm sure maybe for your friend it may be the same. I don't know. Even sometimes when I'm sitting and coaching people, I'm like Eileen therapy, right? Because I I come from that lens. But I, I always think, well, why can I marry both? Like, why can't they both coexist in the same space? And so, yeah. you know, I have found myself, even with clients, like I, I do a lot of solution-focused theory. I do a lot of that, which is more coaching, right? Like, it's a fan, it's a fancier way of saying coaching, solution-focused, right? More of that. So I, anyway, long, but so that's for me is how I've learned to navigate both. And when I see clients outside of, I work for a clinic, that's therapy. And I do some coaching there. But outside of my clinic, um, I'm very candid about the distinction and I have disclaimers like this is therapy, this is coaching. And so this is what are you seeking? Are you seeking a combination of both? And so I make sure that people know that there's just a huge distinction. Right. And fortunately for me, I can go between both easily. Right. And I think that's therapists can actually become coaches because of that if yeah. they really yeah. wanted to. And so I find that as an like a it's. It's a skill set that I don't take lightly because it does help a lot doing both. I can absolutely do both. And so, yes. So so I can't, so my ego right now is like satiated with like you can, you're the, you're still a therapist. Yeah. Heaven forbid. But so it, it is tricky. I mean, I think a lot of therapists struggle with that. I think a lot of therapists struggle with that. I'll be honest, with the coaching industry for that reason. Um, and also caveat. If you are a coach and do not have license to help someone with trauma, please don't do that because I'll get clients that have had that and I've had, and it's a whole, it's so dangerous. So I, I will say that, and it's okay to say, you don't know how to deal with people's trauma because it's just not okay. <laughs> and I have, cause I've had so many clients that come that have had that and I've had to, it's, it, it's dangerous for people. So just a caveat there just please don't if you have no idea what you're getting yourself into
1: (laughs) and it's a huge thing so I think the combination of coaching and psychotherapy or like you mentioned I know you mentioned somatic therapy too and I'm excited to get into that yes Um, I think this is the future of coaching now I am a coach with no who is not prepared to help people with trauma. Like I am the the stereotypical coach. I don't really do much coaching these days, so that's kind of a another avenue. But um this is probably partially the reason why. I am a coach who just like got a health coaching certification, which was great. Um but I just have always helped people intuitively. But with a lot of people, a lot of my clients, I felt like I couldn't fully help them. And with, with some of them, I did say, like, I think a therapist would be really helpful for you. Right. When we ended our time together, um, for them to move on to, because I felt like I'm not like fully helping them the way that I want. I could just tell that there was like a piece missing. And I, so I think that there are a lot of people in the coaching realm who need actually a good therapist, like a therapist yes. who is ethical, as you say. And I always recommend to people somatic. I know EMDR is really helpful. Yes, some Reiki kind of,
0: yes, some kind of holistic
1: like therapist, because I think people also have a lot of traumatic experiences with talk therapy. Not like it's yes. all bad, but you know. So I think it goes both ways, which is interesting, Eileen. Like, so let me say this. I noticed that I was someone who kept trying coaching when I really needed therapy. It's been yes. supposed to be a part of my journey, but I really needed therapy the whole time and coaching was like a good other thing. But like it, I was trying to use coaching as therapy. It's not therapy. So there's that. The majority of my clients have come to me after they tried like decades of therapy that wasn't working for them, right? Right. So that it goes both ways. Sometimes coaches get approached by people that are like, no, I've already tried therapy. That was in itself right. traumatic. I don't want to go back to therapy because I've tried so many therapists that I don't like. So then there's that too. So this is why I think that it's so important now that there are therapists who also are willing to coach because you have both. So no matter where the person is on the scale, if they actually need therapy or they actually need coaching, you're there for them.
0: I think that's so important and I think we need that I thank you so much for sharing your experience because and I and I'm so glad you don't feel offended I have a lot of friends who I have a lot of friends who are coaches when I was a fitness instructor I was a fitness coach in the sense of like when I would just because spinning was my jam when I would go to spin I would be doing mindset work I wasn't a therapist at that point but I was very interested in that space you know and so there is a difference like you therapy is great and then what? And that's the person when people, and you're right, when people mm-hmm. go to coaching and they have had no, and they have so much trauma and or at least stuff that's not dealt with, right? Like there's lingering things and they want to say, hey coach, can you help me with this business? But they have so many wounds that are not just like money mindset wounds, they're deep, like sexual trauma or stuff. The yeah. coach is not capable. And sometimes they feel they feel out of, they don't know how to say no to the client. And then the yeah. client will then, because I've had this in my office with clients who will say to me, I got this coach, And they were terrible. And I'm like, were they terrible or were they just not qualified and you thought they were... So that's that too. Because then I think a lot of coaches get bashed because they're not trained because that's not their job. And I think coaches try, coaches try my therapist, who is a therapist and a coach. At the beginning, she would say to me, you need to go do this and then see me. So I have two different things. I I have a coach, coach, and my therapist is also a coach. She does Reiki and she's great. So... I've, I specialized in EMDR during grad school. The last year, I did a whole year because you have to do specific things for EMDR. And then after you finish, you have to do more training. They you have hours and hours on end. So I do a lot of EMDR on my clients a lot. And I, for me, I did EMDR on myself for years, like with my therapist. And he helped heal things quicker for me, post-divorce, pre-divorce, all the things. And so sometimes I'll go to my therapist and say, I think we need to do a quick EMDR. Can we just knock one out? because I just need to move through emotions because I do it so much, but it, the somatic piece is important. And that's why I love fitness so much because sometimes you just need a good workout to move the things, right? So anyway, I, I coaching just gives me, or I'm space to, to show up for more people because you feel, being a therapist can, especially at the beginning, can feel really isolating. Uh, you can't talk about what you say, right? Which is why I have a therapist that can tell her things. You trying to figure out why your client needs it. And so when you're really new in therapy as a therapist, honestly, as great as school is, you literally use 1% of what they teach you and the rest, they throw you to the wolves. And so, and so, right. And so I will say that not that the training, the training's needed, like that's not, that's true, but also there's that, Again, recalibrating them like this is the real world, and these are real people. These aren't just like you know, these aren't just beta testers, right? These these are actual people that have real problems. So coaching just lends for a robust experience than just the one-sided view. And I've loved that in my life. uh I wouldn't be able to be here where I am in my life if I didn't have a coach because I've had all this therapy and. I have a coach and it's really helped me kind of get into like the mental space that I need to be in. Does so, that make sense?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Sorry. You really practice what you preach, which is something that I look for in a therapist and a coach. Like, are they holding themselves accountable? And it's so clear that you've done so much work to do that. Um, And then also in, in addition to, what you just said i would love to go over what emdr is for people that don't know can you tell us
0: yes and so this is like the this is the easiest way i can explain it to people in sessions so the, first of all the word is long eye movement desensitization reprocessing i think you 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 seem like you're aware of what emdr is so i literally will say and this is how it was taught to me and i love this explanation it mimics REM sleep and awake state, right? So when you're sleeping from two to four, you have the most vivid dreams, right? Things are just going really, really, really fast, right? And all these vivid dreams. So basically it's not hypnotherapy, people think it is. It, you're just going processing the, the trauma or the pieces quicker and you're using bilateral stimulation. So it could be the headphones that I like the tappers, you tap the leg or whatever that looks like. Um, to do the bi- have the bilateral stimulation. And there's something, Shapiro who created the theory, she was walking through the woods one day and she is literally how she, it came to be. It's a newer modality. Mm-hmm. She passed away, but she lived in Seattle or in Washington state. She was walking through the woods one day and she noticed that if she moved her eyes side to side very quickly, she would get these like images. And she literally created the EMDR theory when she was walking through the woods one day and it was like the bilateral movement so when you do emdr you're going through the 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 trauma quicker which allows for your head to stop like the emdr is the brain and the somatic is the body and so i use both when i have mm. emdr because i can do some somatic i've trained a little bit on that but it helps you kind of get the positive the negative thought into the positive thought it, it's a whole but it basically Going back to how I initially said it, it's mimics REM sleep and awake state. So you get to, the images are quicker. They're more vivid, which is why you need someone who knows what they're doing, because you can get stuck on a trauma and then no one, and then you have to be able to get yourself out, but it allows for you to process trauma quicker. Caveat to this too, because people say a lot, sorry, because I just, I did a lot of EMGR this week with clients. This, I do not believe, this is my own specific belief. I think it's offensive. When people say, I want to forget this trauma, not that people like their trauma. I will never say you're never going to think about that because that is a lie. That's right. bullshit. You will think about the trauma. When you think about that, you won't, you won't get stuck in it. You won't hopefully not recreate the behaviors and the defense mechanisms that keeps you stuck because it will be really, to me, offensive to tell someone you're never going to think about that. Right. That's not the goal. The goal is to help minimize the feeling you get when you think about the trauma. Because I think people say, well, I'm just going to forget it. That's not how the mind works. You don't just forget grief like that. You make grief become a part of you, not take your whole life over. And Integration. so- Correct. And so I think that's also offensive. We're just going to forget it. I, that's not how that works. Yeah. I just don't want it to take over your whole life. So let's minimize its impact on your life. I do it like a recharge. We minimize the bad, the charge and we integrate new tools and new and new thoughts around the experience. So I use my own, my divorce is pretty traumatic for me. And I will be open about this. I don't, It was very unexpected and very traumatic for me. It took me a long time to get through that. And I did a lot of EMDR. So when I think about certain things about it, it doesn't have the same effect anymore. And I can start with a negative thought and then it'll quickly become a positive cognition. Like instead of saying, you know, and so it's about reframing the thought around the feeling around the experience. And that's how EMDR has helped me and like traumatic things in my life think about it and have a different thought about myself not that the experience was great but who i am in the experience and so long i mean it was not supposed to be long but that's how emdr is meant to work like the experience still happened but when i think about myself today when i think about that i don't have to degrade myself around it anymore it becomes a whole different thing for me does that make sense anyway 100%
1: 100%. Sorry. 100% I know I, I love it no this is your podcast episode I love that 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 you're taking the time to explain this because you're right I think when we're in the self-development realm when we're doing coaching or even when we're seeing a therapist it's not being explained to us like this I think we need to hear this explanation because it's the same thing as like shadow work people in the, not not the same thing as shadow work but but base, yeah space base, based concept as why shadow work is important. Some people know that term if you're in the spiritual realm, the self-development right. industry, we, we, we tend to think of things in black and white. This is good, this is bad. So happiness is good, but feeling like a loser is bad. But in reality, the the healing in my experience it hasn't been getting rid of the the feelings of being a loser and just erasing them because they're quote unquote bad it's just owning it and being like i feel lonely right now Or I I feel like I'm not being seen right now. And you're just being a fucking human because it's not all going to be, quote unquote, what you think is good. And it's not going to be like, like you're saying, Eileen, it's not going to be, oh, those memories are bad. Let's just erase them. It's all you. Like, it's all us. We have all parts to us. We have all... Emotions to us that's part of being a human we have all different experiences horrible experiences and great experiences and then all the stuff in the gray area that we never even think about like we always just think about good bad good bad there's a lot in between. That's something I learned in therapy, it can be in the gray area and it often is in the gray area, it doesn't have to be categorized as good, bad, light, dark, what this should be or shouldn't be, sometimes it just is and that's part of being a human and and like you were saying, at the beginning of our episode, like, all of these crazy traumatic experiences shape us as a whole and it helps to grow us as a human being so it's not and i oh man some people have been through horrific stuff we've all been through yes. some of horrific stuff so of course we want to erase it but I, there's like another way that we can you know as i'm listening to you it's helping me realize too there's another way that we can look at these horrific things They they can be empowering at a certain point in time look at the wisdom I've gained from this, look at the confidence, look at the the know-how. I know how to get out of like the darkest place in, that I've ever been in life. It's just, um, there. there's bad, quote unquote, things that we view as bad can really be empowering when we get to a certain place in our journey. Would you agree?
0: Absolutely, and I'm glad you brought that up because there's things that I hear, really dark things from clients. Like I've, you know, being a therapist, there's a lot to say about the things that I hold for people, or at least I'm allowed to hold that are, I've had clients, I mean, I'll be honest, raped that three, four, like horrific oh. things, things that are, that I would never say, let's just, you know, they want to forget it, obviously. Yep. So yeah. when I have those things, right, I mean, those are, per, that's like the extreme pieces of sitting with humanity. That's hard for me as a therapist, but I yeah. hold space for that is like, how, not that even how to make that good or anything, but how do you show up in the world as an adult today without sticking a needle in your arm. Because a lot of clients who've had things like that, end up doing heroin and, you know, because they just wanna numb out literal PTSD on it long in their forties for years and years on end. So when I look at that, I think like, and I and I hope I didn't like bypass the question. It's more of like, you know, and you look, and you, cause you mentioned good and bad. And so I don't like to use those words as much Because they're so absolutist, and it's hard not to use them. But I look at it as like we are so so human beings. This is how I was taught in school, but I really like this, right? So feelings are all in the grid. We have all the feelings. I have feeling charts everywhere. This is what I do. My kids are like stop therapizing me, but I have them. You know, (laughs) we're we're content. We're joyous. We're disappointed. But people have a human humanity have a hard time sitting and feeling, which is why we drink, we use, we gamble a lot. Everything in excess. This is not a judgment. It's just the truth. It's what we do. I do it sometimes. I will overexercise. And so sitting in the gray is the hardest thing to do for people. When I sit with a client, especially when they've had deep trauma like that, I say, okay, what, and when I do EMDR, what's the worst part of the experience today? How do you feel about yourself today? Because the experience happened 50 years ago or sometimes I have clients from the 60s that have this happen, right? And they just want to feel better about it today not and they want to stop the image of it. But the thing is the brain is it, the brain has like recorded this right. So when they think about that, how do they reshift the image? And that's the work. It isn't people don't necessarily forget things like that. That's the part that sucks that I wish I don't even have a better word for that. I wish I could be racist for people who want nobody wants to think like that. But what they're doing today because of that experience doesn't serve them either. And so they just want reprieve. And so I look at and this is where like some coaching can work. When you work on trauma like that, you say, so when you show up at work in relationships today, what are some of the things that you can integrate today as a solution just to function today? Not minimizing the experience, but that you can actually go to work and stay at work, that you can keep a job, that you can stop using heroin, that you can be in a relationship and not and be able to be intimate with them. And so like there's all those pieces. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So, so you know, and, and it and it requires, going back to your question, sitting in the gray right yeah, because yeah. when you use i'll use drugs drugs is an easy example because when you use drugs you are using upwards or downwards right and so so they can bypass all the things in the middle which are the feelings that are really hard to navigate for human beings. but that's where humanity lives right and so that's the invitation for people when i enter, what the reason why i like coaching when i do because then i can go okay if i if a client stays with me long enough sometimes it's just hard trauma is hard to sit with and so people don't often it's just hard and that makes me, I feel sad about that a lot of times. You can go, okay, so now that we have worked on some of it, because you don't work on all of it like that, unless you see someone for, I've been in therapy for 10 years. I've worked through a lot of stuff because I've had it for a long time, right? Mm. And I've been fortunate to be able to be able to pay for that. It's, therapy's expensive. I mean, that's yep. just be honest about that, is that you can now go, okay, solution focused. How do I work now in my life to create some short-term solutions to things that, like, I want to be able to keep a job or yeah, or be able to be into it with my partner. So there's pieces of like, pieces like that to it. So sitting in the gray and letting yourself just sit in the middle feelings without having extreme lows and extreme highs is hard for people. Yeah. Anyway, it, it's just hard for people. It's just hard. It's not this easy thing to navigate. And so it's not black and white like that. I wish I try not to use the word nuanced because it, it, I get triggered by that word, but it is very nuanced. I'm just gonna use it. Yeah, and I'm a <laughs> <see the> trigger.
1: <laughs> I I love it. I I love that to hear you kind of confirm that and validate this idea of being in the gray area. And it's crazy because, you know, again, we've all experienced all these you know different varying degrees of trauma and things that felt bad. And then you meet someone else and you're like, oh my god, I felt bad. There's they have right. like some of the the worst you know, possible imaginable situations. But at the end of the day, it's really hard for all of us to be in the gray area, just within the world we live in. This is the number one thing I've been working on with my therapist, right? The number one thing, how do we stop going from feeling really bad to really good to really bad to really good? How do we just sit with whatever's in between? And it's been beautiful. It's been beautiful to And hard and you know, all this stuff, but like beautiful to start seeing oh my god wait a second we're making a little bit of progress we're starting to say things like this like okay well it's not just black and white you know it's pretty beautiful and like this whole you know the idea of getting through trauma and and what i go through in my head a lot is like why like as someone who believes in god i don't subscribe to an organized religion but why god why is life why does life have to be this horrific to some people you know right right And, and I guess where I want, what I just, I'm going to, I would love to hear what you think on that. And then I'll just add this other piece in and I'll, I'll let you go off on, on what your thoughts are, Eileen, but there is something to resilience. So the most horrible things that can happen to us, it's like, how do you flip that? How do you make this good? And you don't have to, like, like what you said, it's not necessarily to be made good, but There's something about getting through some shit and still being on this earth, somehow being able <laughs> to just continue to live after this crazy thing. Oh my God, I I'm continuing to be able to be here. And I've gotten through that because I'm still alive. There's there's a there there's really something there, I think. Because there were I, moments absolutely. in my life where I'm like, why am I living? Why am I here? This feels so horrible. And now to be now sitting here in this chair saying, I got through that, that's the thing. That is the thing. That that the the one way I can look at all these horrible things and be like, well, we're still here. So now what are we gonna do? So what are your thoughts on this topic?
0: I love that, like you kind of you went into that. I and you know, and I like that you know because you go to therapy and so you've had your own personal experiences with therapy, right? Therapy is different for everyone. Yeah. So with those with those um, events, right? When they're, you go, oh my gosh, how could you know? How could how could this happen to anyone? Like I, you know, how could this happen to people? How how does that happen? And people survive that. I, I, exactly what you said. You don't make it good. Yeah. You don't make. I hate. That, I don't even. You don't make it anything but what it is. I love Peter Crone for this reason because he sits in reality, right? And I try to be a realist about it. You don't make that experience anything but what it is. What I think people want to know is then how do I live my life because. And I say, because it doesn't mean accepting it, doesn't mean you condone it. And I think for people that's really jarring to their pain. Like if I accept that it happened because it did, that doesn't mean I condone it. And that's unequivocally no, like don't, right? And I think when people say that, sometimes clients will say, I was mad at you last week. And I say, why? Because you said that it happened, I had to sit with it. And I said, because it happened. I'm not saying that I would that I think it's great, nor am I saying that you deserved it or anything, but when you accept that it happened, if you let it sit and you sit in the gray without picking up the addictive habit, then there can be some uh, reprieve in that, or at least like you deflate a balloon saying, it sucks, I can't change it. And now your mind has been fighting for 20 years, trying to recreate and change the image. We all do this. If yeah. I just walk in 10 minutes earlier and people spend years on that and it and and it doesn't mean or equate to accepting the behavior accepting the experience does not mean accepting the behavior that's how i put it to a client it's sucked to say but it's like this is how you get through some of the stuff is to accept Mm. it but not accept the behavior attached because that'll just i mean we would spend years and years on that just resisting that so that's one thing and then there's another thing i i when I remember sitting, this is not something I made up. So I'm sure it's like an iteration of something I heard, right? I, a client said, well, how do I move on? How do I, how can I go on with my life? I can't imagine. The resi- so going back to the word resilience. And I say, okay, at 2.52, as you're sitting here in my office, whatever the time is, you have survived 100% of your life. So this is indicative that you can survive the rest. You don't have to know the how. You don't even have to know what that looks like. You can just know for a fact that you can survive the rest. You just don't know how but you have survived all of it, right? And so I, I try to go from, even with myself, like it's an, I have been able to survive everything to my life thus far. at six, my time, six nineteen. So it has to indicate that somehow I can survive the rest, right? And so if that can lend any hope to people, that's just true because we're sitting here at this time, right? Having this conversation. And so you don't have to know the how and but because human beings are wired for certainty. We want to know how everything is. And that, to me as a human being, is the most offensive thing about the world. Thank you, God, the universe or whatever for not letting me live in uncertainty. But that's the thing. That's the work. I'm not just saying this because it sounds cute. It's annoying sometimes, mm-hmm. but that's just the truth. I have to believe some down my soul that I, I can survive the rest because I'm sitting here, survived all the stuff that I've been through, right? Like, I don't know. It's not something that I think I'm bypassing an emotion. It's just, it gives me some relief sometimes, right? Like something I just want relief from the hopeless, hopelessness that I feel sometimes. Like, what the hell am I doing on social media? I have no idea what I'm doing, but I know I'm good at certain things. I just don't know marketing. And so I'm like, okay, I just know that somehow, some way I'm gonna figure this out because I figured out everything else, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I have to believe that because it's true. <laughs> you know, it isn't like something I learned in a textbook. It's lived experience. No textbook in grad school, no psych- psychology book, no DSM-5 diagnosis is going to give that to me. It's lived experience. And so I that's a collective thing we all have, right? That's just cultures, countries. It permeates throughout the entire world. That's just something that's true. So whatever, I mean, I riffed on that, but that's the truth. Mm. I, I don't know how that resonates, but I have to believe that because we've survived it thus far.
1: Yeah yeah it's so Sorry. powerful
0: it's,
1: <laughs> it's so powerful, and i it's so cool because <sighs> what do I start with? I have two things here. one, I guess it's the closest to what you've just been talking about it it what hearing you talk brought me back to these moments, and this is these are moments in the past couple of months. These weren't like years ago in my life past couple of okay. months I felt so hopeless oh my God, what am I going to do? This is, it's just, why am I here? Why, what is the point of all of this? Finding, finding resolve in a way of like, (laughs) okay, but I'm here. So what is my next step? Like, like how, what am I going to do right now? Am I going to go connect with my community? Am I going to go get a glass of water? What's my next thing? There, There was something for me that was, as someone who can really spiral in my brain and kind of sit and like, not take any action at all I can tend to do that it was there was a lot of resolve and just like well I'm still on this earth so there must be a reason for that there must be a purpose for that so how am I gonna just make literally the next step in my life I don't have to really plan anything out but like what do I want to do next (laughs) what do I want to do next and you just keep going, you just keep trying things. And then I think this ties really well into social media and marketing, because Ooh. I mean, I never got any kind of marketing oh. education at all. And um I started so not confident about my business. And I never saw myself as a business person. And I never saw myself as being good at sales. And I just was always poor, you know, like, I I just never could make any money for myself. And I'm like, okay, so I must not really be a business person. But guess what? I just kept posting, I just kept saying what I thought. And I kept, like, you know, putting stuff out there that felt right to me. And I just kept doing it and doing it and doing it. And now I love it. You know what I mean? It's like, you just, we're so adaptable as humans, we do something enough times, eventually we could become an expert on it. Right. You know
0: what I'm saying? yes the social media thing you know yeah oh i, I mean I, we don't have time for that but i can the fact that we met through social media and so that's the part that mm-hmm. i i can be annoyed with it but i also say it's a useful tool yeah. for how people connect in the world like i you know and i've had to reshift and this is where my code like my mindset around it because the way i want to connect with people is not just like it's online it's like oh reaching out connecting with other people that I, not just in my little community. Right. And so the mm-hmm. online space is this beautiful tool. And one thing my coach told me, which you may have heard from other people when you talk about sales and, and the same thing, I've never saw myself as like a business person per yeah. se. I call myself all day an academic, which honestly I am I'm that person, but also I'm a myriad of other things. Right. And yeah. so and being adaptable and having to retrain my brain in areas that aren't my strength necessarily or things that I knew that i didn't think i would have to use right this is where Mm -hmm. i have to reshift a lot but she said something to me i said look i she said something to me like i am procrastinating posting about you know i want to do this little program that i want to do not little program but you know and i and i i do one on one on the side but i also do it here and she said you know sales is a service and i was annoyed with her i said how can you tell me that Mm -hmm. and she's like she goes because it is and i i was i sat with it for a couple days and she said because it is she goes because when you go to the store when you in, interact with the cashier, because I know I know every cashier, because I'm a talker, mm-hmm. she's like, isn't it a service? When they're selling something to you, it's an exchange of energies, an exchange of goods. She goes, you do that in therapy. And I go, true. She goes, when you sit with a client, and I can only speak for myself, they're not just a dollar sign to me. Yes and no. Like, yes, it's a business. It's work. But I also generally care about this person finding reprieve or at least feeling better than when they you know and so I've had to look at it from that lens and social media in particular that sales is a service because it is and it's not like minimizing because I I, I really respect people's time and money like because I respect mine right mm-hmm. that it is a service and so having to re, like shift my mindset to looking at it as a needed tool. And I think as a mental health clinician, this is how we're ingrained when you're in school. Like, you know, you do this for the greater good, but the greater good still still I still need to pay my bills, right? I still need to mm-hmm. eat. And and mm-hmm. so and so I think when you're in the mental health field, social work and stuff like that, it be it feels almost contradictory to I think some of the way we're taught, the things we're taught. So coaching has helped me reshift that. Like I, I can be a mental health who also makes money who is also a service person, like a service-oriented person without it being offensive. And social media is a great way to do that. And I, I don't have to sacrifice integrity because I'm sending a service. And so I, and people have different ways of looking at that, but I believe that. And I liked how she kind of told me that one day. And I'm like, that is true. And it helps me give me a different perspective of how and when I show up with people mm-hmm. and, and, and how I show up with them. That it's not, when I go to my therapist and I paid her a lot, it's a lot of money for me, but it's a service because when I leave there, it's not that my t- problems have changed. My perspective around it has changed. Does that make sense? And so it's not like overnight, all of a sudden, this conversation I have with the person changed. It's just that the way I feel about myself going into it again completely shifts. And yeah. that's the service piece. But I paid her, right? Like, so I don't, I don't, I went off on that. So that's, that's my spiel about that.
1: Yeah, no, I, I totally connect with that. Cause I felt really gross around taking money for what I, I do for a long time. And it's still something I deal with for sure. I like different levels, you know, with different things, but I love what you say about, it's not like all the problems, quote unquote, go away, but how you feel about them changes something I've learned. And it was, it's just been so on brand the whole time I've been doing ther- therapy about is about how much that matters, your perspective. It's not. It's not even like what happens. I'm realizing, at least in my life, it's like it's not so much the day to day things that happen. It's my perspective around them. So again, if we're getting into substance abuse and all that, it it, it does matter what happens. It matters if you use heroin or not one day, you know. Right. Yeah, right. But as far as like your drive, as far as like if you're just living your life and observing yourself going through life i'm realizing how much it matters how you look at yourself and what it what you're making stuff mean about you means so much right like if, if i if my mood is so affected by how i look at what happened instead of what actually happened you know yeah
0: and that's hard because man. You know, this is why people don't like to sit in the grave because feelings can take you out. And if you don't have a support system, because even today, even to this day, I don't care how many degrees I have. I will sit. I have friends who I, t- one of my best, well, my best friend, I give her permission to yell at me. Today, she sent me a Marco Polo. She's like, you, ha-, and I sat there. I'm like, I want to punch her in the face. But I made, she's my friend because she would never not tell me the truth mm-hmm. about, How I'm messing with these feelings and I'm just bypassing them, right? And so I remind so when I see people in sessions or when I coach people, it reminds me of how I show up in the same way. Like that's a that's a I don't know for you, it's the same, it's a humility thing where I'm I'm asking them to show up in a certain way and then I have to go question mine, right? And I it's really hard sometimes. I'm like, you know, this is the thing about being a therapist that is really humbling. I will say out of anything that I've ever done. When I leave, when I come home and I sit with myself, I'm like, oh, I have to do what I told my client to do. Then I'm a hypocrite. I seriously, if there's not a day, this, not this not exaggeration that goes by where I'm like, what would I tell this client to do? I mean, you have to go do it. Because if I don't show up the way I asked them to show up or i rather encourage them to show up. Then I am not as, I'm not a great therapist, nor am I a great coach, right? I try to, and that doesn't mean that, doesn't mean that I don't, that I buy, there's things that are, they're intense. that that's like a process to heal, like trauma as a kid, I still process and I heal things on my divorce. Like there's, there's like phases to it, but if I don't sit in integrity, like I encourage them to do, then I don't show up as my best self when I'm with them. And that for me, I don't think I'd ever get, if I had not gone to grad school, if I hadn't done those things, if I don't sit here today, that I do know it's a gift. Right, as much as I can lament certain things, clients give me a gift that way every day. I, I mean, there's not a day I did want to tell this client today? I'm like, well, okay, you know, sometimes I'm like, I don't want to deal with it, <laughs> but it is how I best show up for them. I don't, I mean, I. that's something I just struggle with a lot, but it, I work around, I work through it because I, I try to live in integrity. Like I would hope a client, I encourage them, mm-hmm. you know? It's it's a sticky piece that's like, sitting in the space and I'm sure maybe you do with it too. Like, what would I tell someone tomorrow? I would tell them to the say like, okay, <laughs> let me go do it. <laughs> let me go do it today. I don't know. Anyway, no, I'm sorry.
1: No, totally. I, I totally get that. And I also, I love that you're saying that too, because, you know, one of the things that I'm learning as well in therapy is like how to trust myself and not look to other people for validation. So that's something in your space that's huge. Like people want to look to their therapist and say, can you please tell me what to do now? Or they want to look to their coach and say, can you please hold me accountable now? And obviously that's part of your role because that's part of your career, but it's not really helping if we train, like if we train our clients to be so reliant on us, we're not really helping them. Right. So one of my- called
0: codependency. That's, exactly. that's
1: 100% codependency. Thank you. And one of my favorite, this is why I went to the, the therapy office that I go to. I had the owner on my podcast and I was like, oh, this is perfect. But my favorite thing that my therapist has said to me is I'm not always right, Emily. Sometimes I don't know. I came in there, you know, my first session, I'm like, okay, so how do I fix this thing? Cause I'm used to coaching. <laughs> some coaches will be like, this is how you fix it. This, 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 this. And of course that has never fixed the problem. So I come right. in there and I'm like, how do I fix it? She's like, I don't know. I don't know. And then it's quiet. We sit in silence, you know? But that, learning how to deal with that and having support to deal with the quiet silence, the I don't know, is how you start to learn how to deal
0: with life inside of yourself. You know what I mean? And they're not not supposed to know everything. Like, I always tell clients when they come in, my job is to mirror back where I hear you say, I'm pretty direct. And I will say, but you take yourself with you. When you leave here, you don't take me with you. Mm. And also you're yeah codependent clients will always and i'm like i cannot do this for you you have to go not integrate that and i would do this with my therapist where she said one day this is years ago i you have to do this on your own you have in and, and also there's the i think you said this right like a couple minutes ago you said when i i don't remember what is how you verbalized it but it was more of we do know what we need to do we just want 100 people to validate it for us like yeah. i can literally know because the thing I'm scared of is often the thing I need to do, but I want 10 people to tell me.
1: Yep.
0: Right. And that is the truest thing for me. I know exactly what I need to do. And I'm living in something like currently right now. And I've asked my friend 10 times, which is why she yelled at me. She goes, I didn't know. You know exactly. Don't ask me anymore. You're a very smart woman. Go do the thing. She goes, and don't call me until it's done. And so I have, like, I said, okay, by next Tuesday. So like, she'll hold me accountable. But, but it's because we do know what we need to do. We just want to be validated 10,000 times. One more, just one more phone call, just one more hit up. And then I'll, I've, I've even gotten this, this is like, years, I've gotten way better with this. I'm the rabbit hole, shame of, I've called like the most random aunt who's going to co-sign my bullshit. Cause I know she's going to be like, okay, mijita. And, and I, cause I know she will. And I'm like, please And I'm like, I haven't spoken to her in years, but because she just, she's codependent too, then she's going to co-sign it. Cause I'll find anyone who's going to co-sign my BS, right? Yeah. So I've done that one mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot. Yeah. I'm way better with it now, but we do this because we want permission, even though we fully know we feel it. This is where my like, somatic is so important, right? Like we know we just want to think about it more and, more and more and more and more and more and more and more. So, anyway, I can talk about this stuff for hours because I am so passionate about it. I live it. I do it. It. It is. I just. It just is. I've. Yes, but. You and I both know what we need to do. We just have to go do it. And it's not like it's not like we go eat the whole elephant. We're st- like I'm at the tusks right now. Yeah, literally at the tusks. I have not gone past the tusks because they're really hard. But I'm there right now, yeah. which I would call social media my tusks. It is a whole different thing. So social media is are the tusks for me. We'll figure it out.
1: Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And for me, like social media was just a practice of being like all right, I'm just, I'm going to do it anyway. 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 because I know at the end of the day, if we just post what's on our mind, that something is going to come out of that. You know, right. you post on your mind, you will get results. The right people will come in to your environment. The right clients will come in. The right followers will come in. You will get followers coming in. If you just do it anyway, it will happen. And, you know, you're great, right? So when you just put yourself out there in whatever way, post the content, post the content, post the content, you'll get results, <laughs> you know? So
0: it's, it's new for me. And so I started on TikTok and then I Instagram is a different kind of thing. TikTok is funny, uh, but I have a lot of, I mean, I don't have a lot of traffic, but I've gotten clients on TikTok and Instagram is like a nurturing space. And so, yeah. you know, my little 200, you know, people, most of them my friends, but I get to practice on there you yeah. know, and, and it's like, you don't know until you start doing the thing, just like I did what I did. Started there, My first client out of school, I swear to you, I cried all day long. I'm like, mm-hmm. I ruined them because you know, I'm like, they, they trust me. Like it's, a, it was a whole thing. And oh, so yeah. I mean, I have to remember that my, fr- you know, I'm like, they, the first time I got off TikTok is a, this, this man is great. I, it was like a month ago. My find me. goes, you were yelling on TikTok and I <laughs> like you. And the first time I, the first time I, you know, it it was online because he's out of state. I remember going into it and thinking, why are you nervous? You do this every day. It's the same thing. Mm -hmm. And I think it was more because he paid me outside of that. And that was a whole experience, right? And so, but the work is the same. It's like, you do this every day. You know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. So don't let the things you don't know, like social media, take you away from what you do know. So that, this, that had been experience for me in it, it, that way i'm like i didn't ruin him he didn't i mean we have a, we have other we've had other sessions after that and so it, it, that i have to remember but you know we're, we're at the tusk i'm at the tusk right now this is what we're doing this is what we're yep. doing right now
1: exactly everybody has their own tusks everyone has their own i know own- yeah. i know that
0: you should vote that everyone has their own tusks <laughs>
1: yeah, i love that it's so good it's such yeah. a good analogy okay do you have time, I, before we close, I'm curious mm-hmm. to know about the somatic work that you do because this is still, I think a new term for the general public. Do you have time to explain that to us?
0: Yeah, I mean, like somatic is different. So I wouldn't say I'm an expert, but I'm experienced in it. I do a lot of breathwork in sessions. Mm-hmm. Uh, I train for, the, I do a lot of breathwork in sessions and I use it with like being people, you know because I'm also a very high energy person. I have to do it myself and grounding. I do a lot of EFT.
1: I love EST
0: tapping a lot, tapping I do on a daily on myself. So even when, so this is how I ground myself when I have no place to ground, like when I don't want to do it in front of people. I do this thing with my hands where I just, it's just kind of getting me out of my head and into my body. Mm -hmm. So I'll do a simple somatic thing would be identifying five things in a room so that I can stay present. It's about staying grounded, which is why I'll tell clients, can you go put your feet on the grass? Can you, because the somatic piece is the piece people want to do the least. And I think now, and I think the part of being of the millennial era kind of thing is that they're really putting that in the forefront, right? Of Mm -hmm. like meditation and things. But when I'm in sessions with clients, the somatic piece for me, somatic therapy is I will sit with the MDR. So I was just doing, I'm a trauma therapist, right? And then I'll sit with them. What I do when I'm doing the MDR, because I have some experience in it, is I'll have them identify. So when you have this experience sitting on a horse going through the beach or whatever the image is what color is it how do you feel in your body and they'll say like yellow and so i'll have a client sit and i'll say you know think about the yellow rushing through your body to kind of have the full body experience with the mind does that make sense Mm -hmm. sometimes i use color imagery sometimes i'll use breath so a lot of therapists will use their own way of somatic i like to use um when i did some somatic when i did somatic workshops when i was getting trained a little i they use a lot of color stuff so because the images because with the emdr it connects does that make sense but somatic therapy could be Reiki. I don't specialize in Reiki, but I love Reiki when it's done for me. Mm-hmm. Or sound healing. And my therapist is a sound healing. That's a great way with sounds. Mm-hmm. Um, like sitting on, because I know people who like, you know, who are more into nature, do a lot of grounding in nature. Mm-hmm. Anything that gets you out of your head and more in your body. So even going on a hike yeah. can be a somatic experience if you wanted to. The goal for me when I think about somatic is, getting not being so heady and cerebral Mm. right because we we can only think ourselves out of situations to a certain point feeling out of situation that's a whole different animal right Mm -hmm. you think yourself out of situations so you can't think anymore then the body has to be integrated i don't see it any other way and it's really hard to get people on board with that Mm -hmm. i think for older generations it's hard to be honest for me it was hard for a while And it's just, it's even though it's not new, it's new. Yeah. Right. So that, I don't know if that makes sense, but like, for me, you can only think your way out of certain things to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. Then it's about feeling out of that. And that I think is tricky for people because it's, it takes, it's a different way of seeing the world in yourself. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So So. true. So true. Yeah. It makes sense. And it's different than what we were taught. We didn't, a lot of us didn't grow up with this in the Western world. No, we we don't, we don't grow up with this stuff. And yeah, we all, I think we've all learned that the hard way. If we just try to sit and think our lives out, that isn't. It's just more thinking.
0: It just just creates more thinking, which is, and so that body has to be integrated. I was really resistant to that for a long time. And when I was doing EMDR, my therapist said, you need to do somatic work and then train in that. And I hated her for it at the beginning and now it makes sense. And I love it and I use it. And it helps a lot because yeah. I think too much. I'm too cerebral and then I can get out of, I, I, I needed to go from neck down, but I was so stuck up here. Yeah. Like neck up, you know? Yeah. So that's, exactly. I, that's somatic stuff. It's great.
1: Yeah, I know. And it, it's like, we can, when we tap into the somatic stuff, the body knows how to heal. Like the body, like we can't think ourselves into healing necessarily <laughs> no, but, the, but the body knows how to heal and that's why breath work works and reiki works and all these different ways even like yoga just be breathing yes. and, and being in certain positions like the body can do a lot of the healing automatically
0: and and i think for you it showed up in the way we, me just listening to how your body feels yeah and if you can like go full circle here and even this one thing that I do, and I know we have to get off, is when I come home, because I'm a single mom, I have three kids, and when I have them, my days are insane. So I'll have like seven clients, you know, something insane. And then I've come home and they're here, and I'm like, oh my gosh. So for me to reshift into mom mode, I will say I need 10 minutes. I will lie in my bed and quiet my mind. Because if I don't, my nervous system is a wreck. for the rest. Of- then they're getting yelled at, and I because I haven't let anything settle in my body. Yeah. And so for me, I don't have to necessarily meditate, but just quiet my mind and yeah. feel is huge game changer for how I show up as a mom mm-hmm. with my kids because my days are so full and I'm with clients all day and, and I'm in it, you know? And so that's really important for me, just as just as a therapist and what I do to be able to have a life is just because I have, I have made it a part of my process when I have my kids. And so they know moms has 10 minutes and i put a timer so I can just like be in my body. Uh, and it really helps, kind of give me like different like section of my day, so I can just be grounded and not be so stuck in my head. It it it's it tricky, but I've had to make it a point for myself so to, to function mm-hmm. um, at my at my best capacity.
1: I love that example because it's so like relatable and usable. <laughs> you know, like how how many of us in one way or another have these moments where they're like, I don't have time to go to a breath work uh, class. Oh, yeah. Or- you know, I, don't have, I can't afford a therapist right now. Just yeah. 10 minutes to just connect back to yourself. That's huge.
0: And it makes a difference. It's hard. But even when I put makeup on sometimes, I'll sit there and I'll put on meditation on like a yeah. YouTube. And I just as I'm doing stuff that I would normally do, I'll have it on to at least my mind. It, and, and, and honestly, I'm not kidding. It changes a lot of things for me. So I hope that helps. I don't know. I really love that I get to now integrate therapy and coaching. And I get to meet all these great people that also have similar ways of wanting to view the world. And so mm-hmm. that, if anything, social media has helped me kind of see the world beyond my insular spaces. Cause it's really hard to get out of it when you're in it. Yeah. Um, for, for 43 year olds like me who you know have to think differently because the world has asked for us to show up a little bit differently, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm really honored that we got to meet online
1: me too me too and what man just life is cool you know like life is cool yeah Yeah. okay so i have before we close i have one last question for you okay i ask this to all of my guests what do you think the root of health is like if you could choose one concept or phrase or word what would be the root of health
0: the root of health that's a great question hmm and I'm glad you asked it and not asked me beforehand because then it'd be like some like ther- some therapeutic modality or some shit that doesn't even pertain to it. The yeah. root of health is I'm gonna say this and it's gonna sound to but I don't care. Allowing yourself to pause. Mm. I because the world is so fast, we don't pause. In the and I think uh, Victor frankl said this. Is it Victor I Can't okay, remember. In the pause you get, and maybe it's not the person. In the pause you get, you you find healing in a way. Mm. You get to like listen to what you need. We don't pause enough to do that. And pausing, not like oh, I'm just sitting here watching TV. That's not what that means. It's like an intentional pause. Mm-hmm. And healing is intentional. Yeah. So if I can like make that, it's intentional. It has to be intentional. And not like a like a homework check. I, I I intentionally pause. It's allowing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Healing is allowing. There you go.
1: Yeah, so true. And we need in order to recognize that healing even needs to be done, a pause is needed. You know. Yes, that's awesome. Healing is allowing.
0: I like that. That makes because it is. Yeah. We don't allow ourselves to even have like a ten minute respite. You know, to just be. So yeah. there you go.
1: Oh, that's awesome, man! We'll, well, awesome. we'll meet again.
0: We'll yeah. Meet again. Oh, for
1: sure. For sure. So, Eileen um, Batista Bon. Yes. Thank you so much for being here, you guys. Eileen is a bilingual coaching th- psychotherapist. You can find her on TikTok and on
0: YouTube and In- well Instagram. And then oh, I, yeah, Insta. I, I opened Insta. the I open the Facebook, but that like, everything gets there. So I'm I'm figuring it all out. But I have a website and I. Put it on my, um it's dot com. Okay. So that I have a website, you can find me there too. So there's okay. that. And
1: if anyone would like to work with you, how's the best way to contact you?
0: Probably my my website, or you can email me um eileenbon at gmail. It's in or even TikTok. You can send me a message. You can direct DM me. That's fine.
1: Okay. Perfect. Perfect. Yep. And then we'll link your website, TikTok, and Insta in the show notes. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you. So fun.
0: I know. I love it. Keep eating your meat. I appreciate it so much. Oh, thank you. I love seeing like a cold slab of meat on my Insta feed. It's great.